Hello everyone and welcome to episode 9 of The Display Show. My name is Brian Berkeley, and I'm your host for engaging discussions with key display industry leaders and influencers. Today's episode features Ajit Nainan, Vice President of Engineering at Dolby Labs and an early pioneer of everything from full array local dimming HDR to quantum dot displays to augmented and virtual reality. We talked about the origins of Dolby Vision. Did you know that it started as a 2000 nit taillight simulator for automobiles? We got into melted LCD films, burning display demos, the critical potted palm metric, Ray Dolby's involvement, solving for director's intent across a range of technologies and products, AR, VR, and more. Please don't forget to click subscribe and hit the bell to get notified of new episodes. Now, on to the show. Hi everybody, today's guest is Ajit Nainan. Uh, Ajit works at Dolby Laboratories where he's Vice President of Engineering. Among many activities, Ajit has been one of the key drivers of Dolby's transition from an audio-only company into the world of video. He's been instrumental in Dolby's development of high dynamic range imaging technologies, which includes HDR hardware, specifically the Pulsar 4000-nit monitor, which was one of the first HDR monitors ever and importantly, the development of Dolby Vision from its inception with a small team to where it is today. Ajit built one of the first locally dimmed quantum dot TVs to enable delivery of HDR with wide color gamut. His educational background is in computer science and computer engineering. He authored the JPEG XT documents, which are also known as JPEG HDR, and he worked on network protocols such as 802.17. I hear he also has been doing some amazing work on augmented and virtual reality. He holds over 400 patents in fields related to imaging, color, video, audio, and networking. He's also a fellow of the Society for Motion Picture and Television Engineers, or SIMPTI for short, and he got the AIS Lumiere Award for pioneering HDR in Hollywood. Ajit, thanks for being here today and welcome to the display show. Thank you, Brian. It's always a pleasure to be on any show with you, since you are a display legend yourself. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> hey, let's start with an overview of your current work with Dolby. Please tell us about focus areas for you and your team, and give our viewers some insight into your team's current activities. All right, yeah, so, you know, I, I can't tell you exactly what we're working on, because uh, um, you know, I'm always looking at next generation things, and uh, uh, as you as you'd mentioned, you know, one of the things that I did start uh, on with a small team was uh, uh, Dolby Vision uh, in its early early incarnations, right? So, uh, so now what I'm looking at is, you know, after that was developed and put in good hands, I decided that I needed to start looking at the next horizon, or the, what we call the third horizon. So I've taken a small team of people, and I'm looking at next generation, next generation imaging and uh, display technologies, and uh, you know what video and imaging will look like in the future. Uh, hopefully, not too far out in the future, because I'm trying to make sure that's uh, that's stuff that we can get to in the near future. And uh, you know, AR VR is one of the things that I'm very very interested in. Uh, so. Maybe can't tell you exactly what we're working on, but that's kind of the general direction. <laughs> well, that's that's helpful uh, in itself. Uh, I I want to bring up something 
that's interesting here, there are still some people who think of Dolby, they still think of Dolby as an audio company. Uh, why did Dolby make this big investment and transition to focus on video and imaging technologies? And uh, I'm also interested, of course, to know how you were a part of it. All right, so yeah, so that's, uh, <laughs> that's always an interesting thing because Adobe's always looked at it as the audio company, and now we're hoping that everybody looks at it as the entertainment and a technology company that's an entertainment technology company, right? So actually, Dolby didn't start in, in audio. He actually started in, in video. Uh, his first product was actually this, uh, this BNR device, the video noise reduction for black and white TVs. And that was like way back in 1967. As you know, uh, you know Ray Dolby started uh, with Ampex in 1956, which was all video focused, right? And, um, so his first product was actually a video product. The, the problem was it was for black and white TVs and color was just getting uh, in uh, to popularity. So he repurposed that technology and, and targeted towards audio. And that's kind of where, you know, decades of work of audio started, right? And uh, uh, we did have some video uh, uh, interest in 2003 where we bought a company called Cinea. And it was more around, you know, video signatures and, and anti-piracy uh, type solutions. But the real investment in video started in 2007 with the acquisition of Brightside. Uh, you know, Dolby had been looking at every, what's the possible next directions for video? And um, one of the things that really stuck out like a sore thumb was high dynamic range, right? And uh, specifically some of the local dimming stuff that uh, Brightside was doing. So when we acquired them, uh, it was a small project that, you know, just try to get local dimming to the next level and bring that out to the market. So that was actually one of my tasks, uh, you know, was to uh, work with uh, the newly acquired company and actually bring out some of these solutions. Uh, at that time, we had two products. It was ironically called Dolby Vision and Dolby Contrast, right? And uh, so I was uh, uh, put in charge of this Dolby Vision thing that was working with companies like Sim2. I don't know if you remember Sim2. Um, but they were wanting to get this uh, high-end local dimming display out. And what became really apparent very quickly was that, um, uh, you know, this when, when you do local dimming and you increase the brightness, the 8-bit signal was not going to be enough. Right, you immediately started seeing banding, and and we were constantly trying to do all these inverse curves to try to make it look better. And you know, it, it, today you know people call it inverse display mapping, right? but we were trying to do that in some brute force way in in hardware that existed back then, and that was really a difficult task. Um, but we were able to drive the display uh, with HDR signals, right? So. Um, the issue was not so much that we couldn't drive the picture to make it look good. It was the fact that we we didn't have the world didn't have content that could look good on a on a display like this, right? So it became obvious that we needed to change the way the world was doing uh, content and the way the world was sending the signal, right? And uh, you know, if you if you went back to the basics, you know, the gamma curve was based off of the CRTs. Uh, and uh, you know the way the CRT was driving 
the the phosphorus in that nonlinear response over there to kind of undo that nonlinear response was the way gamma was bought, but it kind of continued into the LCD world. Um, and so, you know, it became very apparent to us that we needed to fix the whole ecosystem. Uh, interestingly, uh, you know, the first customer that I had to deal with when we were building this Dolby Vision and Dolby Contrast product was uh, uh, car companies who wanted to model their taillights and to make sure that their taillights looked good without having to build the actual taillights. And they needed an accurate HDR. They had HDR uh, rendering capability, but they had no way to look at it on a display. So, um, you know, so we ended up working with Volkswagen in getting the data out of their uh, pipeline in, in high dynamic range, but obviously it exceeded anything any display could do back then. And, and this display was, you know, maybe 2000 nits. Um, so we had to actually manually pre-process the, the content to display map it down and then drive it over our, you know, our non-traditional display interface uh, in a log LUV type format um, in order to get that display to drive HDR signals, right? And then immediately things started looking good. So taking that, so the next level, we're like, well, we want to change the ecosystem. So, you know, how are we going to do that? So we actually started shooting content because cameras weren't the things that had the problem with the dynamic range. It was the display that had the problem with the dynamic range. So we, we, we shot content and then we color graded it. And the color grading had to happen at something uh, that had much higher dynamic range and a much wider color gamut. Because everybody was used to, in the cinematic world, was used to P3 color gamut. So it had to exceed P3 color gamut. And it had to exceed um, you know, anything that anybody else has seen before. So we, we built this, this 4,000 nit display. And um, the challenge of that was <laughs> insane because the only way to get wide color was to use RGB LEDs. And, um, RGB LEDs are notoriously inefficient, at least back then. You know, we were talking about like 8% efficiency, and blue was only 12% efficient back then. And so, you know, we, we stacked all these RGB LEDs behind an LCD panel and trying to do local dimming on, on that. And uh, I remember the first time we turned on the display and cranked it up to get 4,000 nits out of the front. Uh, about 10 minutes later, the diffuser literally melted. It, like you could see, it, the diffuser looked like it was a liquid when we pulled it out after it cooled off, right? So obviously we're like, well, okay, that's not gonna work, so we're gonna have to cool this thing. So um, we, we had already planned for some kind of cooling and, and we actually had to use a bucket of ice uh, to pump water through the backlight in order to keep the whole cavity and everything cool so that it wouldn't melt. And uh, you know, the first image we popped on there uh, at 4,000 nits was this, this, this bowl of fruits, and it just popped. Like you know, Anybody looking at that picture would be like, would realize that we had something right immediately. At 4,000 nits, wide color gamut, it was undeniable. Right? Wow. Uh, 
I've got a question for you. Is, yeah. Was Ray yeah. Dolby involved in the decision to pursue this field with so much vigor? Absolutely. Ray was very interested, and he would come to our, our technical advisory board meetings, and, and uh, um, you know, he, would, he would always chime in as to like how this was definitely an area of interest. Um, and he actually got to even hear some of my presentations on quantum dots in the early days, so <laughs> we can get to that in a bit. But definitely, he, he got to see a lot of this and, and was very involved in, in some of the early days. It, it's so interesting. You bring up so many points of nostalgia for me. Uh, I remember prior to Dolby's Brightside acquisition, seeing the first uh, Brightside demo. It was Helga Seetzen. Yeah. Uh, set it up yeah. in this hotel in uh, Kihung. Uh, actually, we were in Migum Station. It was near uh, Kihung. And, you know, there's fans, and this thing is this giant prototype that they had carted all the way over uh, from North America. Uh, but Did he tell you about the, the fire they started? <laughs> no, he didn't tell me about that. Oh, my goodness. One of the displays got on fire. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, he's boy. got his own... Uh, <laughs> Insane stories there, there, on it. There are so many stories. We we uh, we knew though that this was significant technology from the minute that we looked at it. You know, it had fans. Everything was running, but you had to look beyond all that and uh, move beyond the noise, the, the audio noise, everything else, and just say, "Wow, uh, yeah. this has such great potential." And you also exactly. brought up you also brought up RGB LEDs. So at Samsung, I was involved in uh, those initial ones. Boy, what a bunch of headaches! Not only did they get hot but uh, trying to keep the white balance correct because they, yep. the, they age at color different shift. rates. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, even with temperature, they color shift like crazy, right? So. That's right. Uh, that's right. Well, um, so I'll tell you that uh, there's a lot of talk these days about uh, Dolby Vision, and we have to talk about it, too. And uh, so to where Dolby is today, now uh, the company is full on in video. And... Uh, for our viewers who don't know, could you please describe Dolby Vision? I'm sure they've heard of it, but why did Dolby create it? How can users get it? And you know, what are the benefits of this uh, proprietary system? Yeah, so okay, so Dolby Vision, I mean, the best way to, to describe it is, is you know, how, do you, how do you get closer to reality in representing a picture? Um, you need a lot of, of bright peak highlights and a lot of details in the darks, right? And uh, in order to represent that, you need some kind of a signal to get from the camera to the display. So from glass to glass, basically, right? And, and that ecosystem is basically Dolby Vision, right? And how do you manage um, one, the content, you know, how do you transport it, and then how do you play it back on a plethora of different TVs where everybody is innovating in their own direction, right? Samsung's innovating in their direction, LG is innovating in their direction in terms of like better blocks. And then there's, there's Nanosys in, innovating in color, you know, trying to in, uh, increase the color gamut. So how are you gonna take a signal that was captured one way and make it look right on all the displays and make it look the way the director intended. That's the key, right? So uh, that's what basically we, we set out to do in Dolby Vision. And that's the reason why it's so important because in the old days, um, it was assumed that there was one standard display, the CRT, and it had Rec. 709 color gamut and 100 nits, 
and that was it, right? Your black level was 0.1 nits, and your, your uh, brightest bright was 100 nits. And life was, life was simple, man. Life was simple, but exactly. it's not I simple anymore. <laughs> yeah, nobody targeted anything else. I mean, well, cinema was different, but you know, for the home at least, that, this, was, this was it. And so when LCD guys started making displays and Sony started making you know, you know, wide color gamut displays, what are you going to play on it? I mean, that same signal started to play on these TVs and things looked just absolutely horrendous because there's no signal. There's, that, there's no content there that played back the right thing. So everything was being stressed in different ways and it wasn't playing back right. So that's what Dolby Vision set out to do is, okay, you have one signal, but it's got to look right on every device depending on what the, the color gamut is and what the dynamic range is. It's, it's got to look right. right? So... Um, that's basically what Dolby Vision is and, and does today. Cool. Um, well, I've got to ask, what's Dolby's future strategy for Dolby Vision? <laughs> well, I mean, of course, you can imagine that uh, displays are never going to go away and displays are never going to stay stagnant, right? I mean, it's never going to be uh, just the 1,000-nit display we have today with uh, you know, whatever color gamuts we have. We want, it, we want that to get close closest to reality until it looks like you're looking through a window and you know, Dolby's job is not done right and uh, and that doesn't apply just to um, just to a 2d surface we want to take it to everything right to, to light field display to uh, you know that immersive experience that you you have anything that allows the palette for an artist to increase and for stories to be told better um, and for it to get closer to reality for, for that immersiveness, that's basically a part of our strategy, right? And, um, you know, what exactly we're doing in there, <laughs> of course, well, we can't talk about, but in general, this is kind of the, the mindset in, in, inside of Dolby in, in terms of where we go. No, that's very helpful. Um, so given that it's a proprietary system, I have to ask, how important is standardization to Dolby? And can you give us some examples of current areas of standardization activity for your company? Yeah, so I mean, so standards for us is, is super important because I mean, we've always been involved in standards, right? Even with the audio days, right? Um, the, you have to look at, at Dolby as, as doing two things. We do branded IP and non-branded IP, right? So branded IP is where you see Dolby's logo. And the non-branded IP, where we actually contribute a lot to in the standards, is where you don't see our logo, right? It's part of the standards uh, on a, that you, you come across that you might not realize that Dolby is, is part of, but we have a, a, a hand in. And one of the key things that we always like to say is you can't build an ecosystem in a closet. So you have to get the industry around ideas, and you have to change it across the board, right? Um, and so that's why standards are super important. That's why standards will always play a role. Um, even in closed ecosystems, now you're seeing more and more closed ecosystems, standards still play a role in, in some kind of interchange, right? So um, between, and, and the con people who are creating content don't necessarily um, want to be generating content you know, 10 times for every closed ecosystem, right? So standards really play a, an important role in that 
in that sense. Right? So Adobe is always going to be in, involved in that because we we look at ourselves kind of as the glue across all of the different uh, pieces that everybody gets involved in uh, across the ecosystem. Right? So uh, from Hollywood to you know device manufacturers, we're always involved in every piece of that puzzle. So uh, standards can will continue to be a, a core uh, thing for Dolby to be involved in. Yeah, I know a lot of your uh, coworkers are involved in that process. So um, Pat Griffiths, you know, we met him down at the Ultra High Definition Alliance meetings uh, many times. And of course I work with Dave Schnelli, uh, who's very active with so many organizations, IEC, ICDM, I could give a laundry list here. Um, but I'm gonna go back to Dolby Vision. I have a question about certification. Um, is there some program for manufacturers to qualify and certify their products? Yeah, I mean, so typically, I mean, most, most uh, uh, companies that, that license from us also get their products you know, uh, qualified and certified by us as well. So, um, so we, we've, we create those types of programs for our customers. So there isn't, it's, it's not so much like, a, uh, you know, like other companies where uh, you just meet a spec and then you get a label. You actually have to have our technology. So we're a technology company, not a certification company, right? So, um, and, and we like to bring value uh, in that sense. We want to bring technology value through the ecosystem uh, more than just uh, a label that says, hey, this looks good. Now, it's, it has our technology and it looks good, right? So that's, that's, that's the way we work, yeah. Okay. Um to the extent that you can describe them, what are Dolby's future priorities for video? And you know, if you can't get into the details, I think our viewers would at least be interested to know Dolby's general directions. The priority for video is, is, is always going to keep being uh, you know, something that's super important for Dolby. And as you know, you know displays are not going to uh, stay static in its innovation. They're going to continue to innovate. Uh, so. You know, a thousand nit display today sounds like it was it's 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 obvious and it's it's uh, standard. But when we first started pitching Dolby Vision and I started talking about you know four thousand nit displays, I mean there were people telling me that's that's garbage, that's impossible. You need the uh, you you need a a, a a whole power station to power something like that. You know. And then you know, trying to explain to them that only four percent of the screen really needs to go to four thousand nits. Um, people said nobody would ever. And then, of course, I showed them Pulsar, and everybody kind of laughed at me. And said nobody would ever build a display like this. Why would they ever build something like this? Right? It doesn't make any sense. And then we're like, well, maybe somebody would want to build a thousand nit display, and I would show them Dolby Contrast, and they're like, that would be impossible to build as well, right? So, um, you know, now a thousand nits is like, I'm not buying a TV unless it's at least 800 to 1,000 nits, right? Um, so you can imagine that displays are going to get way, way brighter. And, uh, and the, uh, the implications of that you know, are, are many-fold, right? Uh, and then in, in addition to that, it, the types of displays and where you use displays also change. So displays, your use of displays are becoming ubiquitous in, in every sense of your life, right? So in terms of your cell phone goes with you, you're going to be wearing a pair of glasses. Um, your, your TV may not be just the TV on the wall, it might be your whole wall. Right? So a lot of those things are going to start happening 
and uh, ambient effects start taking uh, uh, need to be taken into account. So a lot of these things have to start be, being thought of, and you know, Dolby definitely believes that the future of video has to take care of each one of these things. And um, we're super interested in the science of the eye and and how your eye works and how to present it with information and images that uh, think that it's reality. So that's that's going to always be our focus and our goal. So yeah. I'm really glad to hear that because I'll tell you, displays are definitely getting brighter. Um, a sponsor of these talks, Nanasys, is working on technologies that improve efficiency and enable some of that higher brightness technology. You're also going to get darker uh, where you can get better detail out of the deep blacks. Uh, they're going to become higher resolution in color. They're going to be wider gamut in color. Uh, there are so many axes of improvement that are occurring. Uh, so it's great that your company is anticipating uh, these improvements uh, and are working on the technologies to support and give a better uh, customer experience through all elements of the pipeline. Um, so um, I'm going to talk more about that. We could spend a lot of time talking about all those improvements, uh, but it, it kind of gets to the next question, which I had mentioned your colleague, Pat Griffiths, and uh, <laughs> you know, how we would attend these UHDA uh, meetings. And, and Pat would frequently say, not just more pixels, but better pixels. Uh, <laughs> and that means things like higher contrast and higher dynamic range and wider color gamut, and greater bit depth, and uh, even in the, the temporal axis, better temporal properties. So I've got to ask, um, what, kind of future display directions would Dolby like to see? And you know, what are the priorities? Which technologies and improvements uh, does your company consider to be the most important? Yeah, I mean, like, like, like Pat likes to say, right? We're not only, uh, we love all our pixels, as Pat says. We want, we love our more pixels. <laughs> we, we want faster pixels and we want our better pixels, right? And better pixels is basically dynamic range, right? So for sure, you know these these are uh, axes that we believe um, are important to uh, images that that we're looking at today. But I mean, if you're going forward, you're going to have to start thinking about multiple uh, multiple dimensions, even more dimensions of these axes, right? Which is basically uh, you got to start thinking about field of view. You got to start thinking about resolution. You know, is is this is what we've got enough? You know, how, how do you characterize the resolution? Uh, and then, if you start if you start thinking about uh, light field displays, you're talking about accommodation and virgins, uh, and then of course degrees of freedom, and then presenting information with the correct stereo uh, views so that it's comfortable. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, you know, there's the standard ones, which are frame rate. You know, in terms of like uh, what what is frame rate, right? Is it frame rate of the display, or is or the frame rate? Uh, there's frame rate of the content, and then there's frame rate of the display, and those two things have to be treated differently, right? And uh, how you treat all that is is important as well. Uh, and then in all of this, latency starts to becoming super important. Um, and then yeah, we have our more pixels, brighter, uh, better pixels, and faster pixels. Uh, so you add all of this together. Uh, that defines basically image quality, right? So, you know, I call it the nine ins nine because I'm nine and I have to have everything with nine. So, <laughs> so, 
so the nine and nine, you know, you have to have uh, all of these to a certain uh, uh, degree, and there's a minimum amount that uh, of quality you have to get to these in order for uh, it to be a comfortable uh, experience. So you have to have, you have to take into consideration image comfort when it comes to more immersive experiences as well as image quality. So, so this is this is basically. Uh, you know the the area that I think video needs to start branching out into these nine inch nine, right? So, um, <laughs> and 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 that's basically what we're looking at as well, right? So uh, there's lots of lots of uh, uh, interesting things. Uh, now that you mentioned uh, uh, Pat, right? I have to go back to uh, one of the stories that in the early days of of uh, of Pulsar. So. You know, we built the Pulsar, and we, we're taking it around to the studios. You know, we, we've, we've shown it to, uh, to JJ and, and uh, uh, to Michael Bay and all those guys. And then we're, we're doing a demo to uh, uh, Kathleen Kennedy. And you know, you know, we're explaining everything about the display, and we're, we show side-by-side show -side, you know, pictures that have you know, high dynamic range signal going to it, and, and, and it's playing back on an SDR screen, a high dynamic range signal playing back on an HDR screen. And, and Pat turns around to Kathleen and says, so Kathleen, do you see a difference? She <laughs> 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 turns to him and says, Pat, you'd have to be a potted palm to not see a difference. <laughs> so, oh, that's, so, that's great. Yeah, oh, so yeah. internally now we call, it, we call it the potted palm difference. Like any demo is like, is this the potted palm difference? <laughs> so, like a, if, if it's obviously better. Uh, yeah. Exactly. It's got to be the potted palm difference. So. Oh, Pat and the master of the rhetorical question. Uh, exactly. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, let me do a deep dive into at least one or two of the nine and nine. Um, and uh, that's color gamut and consistency. So how important uh, is it to improve color gamut and to achieve color consistency and accuracy. And uh, a follow-up question is whether you see a future trend from DCI P3 content toward using a higher percentage of uh, the full BT2020 gamut. Yeah, so that's a really good question. I mean, of course, uh, we want to get to the full 2020 gamut. If you come to Adobe Cinema, it is full BT2020 gamut, right? We used lasers, right? So that was actually one of my projects as we were trying to build a low-cost uh, mode hopping laser that allowed you to um, uh, not get speckle on the screen because of the mode hopping laser not uh, allowing you to tune the bandwidth of the laser, uh, and so that way we could actually have a uh, have color gamuts that were anything we wanted, like you know, around BT twenty twenty without speckle and and getting all the characteristics of the laser. Right. So today we have we have the same thing with a, a shaking screen. Uh, so does 2020 make a difference? I mean, heck yeah, go to a, a movie theater and see what uh, an artist can do when he's given more colors. He can tell significantly more, uh, uh, significantly more vibrant, uh, show more vibrant images telling stories that you can't tell. So yeah, nature may not, nature may be inside a pointer's gamut, but stories aren't told in, in in pointers gamut, I mean, nobody walks around with a lightsaber, but we tell stories about lightsabers, right? Which needs, you know, really saturated colors. 
So do I believe that uh, we need more color gamut? Absolutely. I, I think 2020 is just the beginning. You know, we, we, need, we need all wavelengths, right? Um, you know, I'll give you an, an example. People keep thinking about displays as, as tri-stimulus uh, uh, displays. You know, how are you going to, uh, for AR glasses, how are you going to mix a tri-stimulus display to make it look natural in the, in the real world? Uh, it's, you, you, you get all sorts of uh, issues with, with uh, three colors mixing and trying to represent something that is an actual wavelength coming to your eye, right? Uh, so, you know, I, I believe there's value to color gamut beyond 2020, not even just within 2020, right? So, so yeah, definitely quantum dots can, can be one of the solutions there because the beauty of quantum dots, you can grow this thing to any size and give you any wavelength, right? So, um, you know, we just need a way to do that in a, in a uh, in a dynamic way that can change color, you know, dynamically for whatever picture you want to create in real time. So, yeah, you know, um, we've done some analysis of movie content and uh, what we've been able to see. Without any question, um, there are tons and tons of movies that are expressing content well beyond P3 uh, today. Uh, and some of the movies aren't even new. Uh, uh, 2001, uh, The Matrix. Um, you've got these deep greens. Uh, the world is not limited to pointer's gamut. Maybe <laughs> that's a gamut of reflected colors uh, outside, but if you look at synthetically generated and CGI type content, uh, there's so much that goes beyond. Um, it sounds like uh, you guys are so interested in that. And, and you mentioned quantum dots, so I have to ask. Um, you know, in the past, just I heard you had some really wild ideas around using quantum dots patterned on a movie screen and, and pumping them with a laser. So yes. would, would you like to tell us a little bit about that idea? <laughs> that was just a little experiment. We didn't, like, take it too far. I mean, I, some, of the, some of the ideas that were, you know, can you, can you get... And you make a cinema screen like over, you know, 10,000 nits. Well, you could take a laser and, uh, you know, scan a laser across a, a, a screen, right? Just like literally pointing across. Uh, and then the idea is like, oh, what if we took a, a blue laser and, and pumped a bunch of quantum dots on, and patterned it on a screen? So we're like, okay, let's try that. So, you know, uh, Jeff <laughs> gave us some some sheets to mess with and, uh, you know, we just you know, tried a scanning laser to see what it would look like. I mean, it was just an experiment. It was, I didn't think it was going to go. But it turns out there's actually a company that does something very similar to that. Um, they don't use quantum dots, but uh, they use phosphors. Um, but I mean, the, the thing that, that we knew was going to be a problem was uh, the ambient light lighting up the, the quantum dots, right? And uh, that's actually, I mean, we have a whole bunch of patents around just uh, the, the color filter arrays and how do you put quantum dots in color filter arrays, right? And uh, so we wanted to experiment with like, okay, what kind of filters could you put on top of the quantum dots so it would block the light uh, coming from the ambient light and, and still get all, uh, you know, all the light from behind from, the, from either a laser or a backlight or whatever, whatever it was. So, uh, so that, that helped us like, validate some of those ideas that we were we had filed some patents on and we wanted to actually take to the next level so 
I actually do think that some of these ideas, I mean, color, quantum dots and color filters is happening. And, and I think that's going to bring brightness levels to the next level, right? So you're going to go from a 1,000-nit display to a 2,000, 4,000-nit display. You know, Pulsar uh, in, in, a, in a phone form factor is not going to be impossible, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, another hot area... We've got to talk about it. Uh, augmented reality, mixed reality, virtual reality. Um, uh, there is so much going on in that area. And I hear that you've been doing some work in that uh, area too. And so can you tell us anything about that work? <laughs> well, I can't say too much, but uh, you know, we've been messing around with a couple of ex different experiences, right? You know, what could uh, an interesting entertainment experience look like um, if you were... Uh, to you know, have some kind of uh, glasses on, so I can say that. Um, and then, of course, you, you know, you, from all my talks around the nine and nine, you know, the nine axes, you should be able to kind of deduce that uh, we are looking at what uh, things could look like in the future for video. Um, you know, we're very, very in, engaged in anything that's related to perceptual science and and image quality and image comfort and uh, um, anything in entertainment related. So <laughs> that's basically all I can say. But, uh, you know, we're, we're always looking at new things, especially on my team. We we're always trying to uh, solve hard problems related to displays, imaging, imaging formats, uh, and those types of things like that. So, uh, yeah. Computer vision, you know, everything, everything mixed into one. I mean, we're a small team, but at the same time, we do, we do, we try to do a lot of, a lot of, touch a lot of topics and feed that to the larger teams uh, to build the next generation experiences, basically. Well, we're going to continue to watch this space and uh, uh, maybe get bits and pieces of information when you're comfortable talking about it. Um, and I've got a final question. Uh, which is important because many of the viewers of these shows are coming from the display industry. And so what other things would Dolby like to see uh, from the display industry? So, you know, if you have any specific hardware or software priorities, uh, this is the right audience. And so please share that with us. Well, I mean, I think the, the easy one is you know, to get the brightness and the color gamut to, you know, to go to the next level, to keep evolving that. Uh, and I mean, I would say you know, uh, quantum dots in color filters is is the easy next one that we we want to see. Uh, then, then of course, um, uh, you know, the miniaturization and of displays so that they can uh, you know get near eye. So you can imagine all the micro LEDs and the uh, nano wire LED stuff would be very interesting. So these are all like related to, um, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about a lot of, you know, backlight type displays. So now we're talking about emissive displays where you don't need a backlight, right? So I think those start to become very interesting. Uh, and then solving some of those hard problems around um, uh, being able to direct light to your eye directly, right? So, so that you can, you can, um, 
create light field displays or create displays that are much more immersive. So those are the types of things that I think uh, the industry should start looking at uh, with the obvious first steps, which I said is just getting brightness and, and color gamut. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole set of things that can happen to displays that need to be uh, thought of differently. Um, not just from the display point of view. I think people think about uh, displays as like one piece and I just need to solve this display problem. But to actually start thinking about the whole thing as an end-to-end -end system uh, uh, from the point of view of, of how do I transmit the data and how do I actually display, put the bits on this display in the right way. Um, if you looked at it as a holistic system, you would actually come up with a completely different architecture. And um, yeah, I have this vision, but I know that it can't happen in a, in a, uh, in a closed, <laughs> just in Dolby. So it has to happen with everybody across the ecosystem playing together, right? I think that that, that would be uh, an interesting set of things to get the industry to work together on and actually solve you know, the end-to-end -end, uh, solution for displays. Um, but the real obvious ones are like, hey, let's get, get these displays higher than 1,000 nits. I mean, I, I, we built Pulsar 10 years ago, and nobody is shipping a, a Pulsar-like display in the home. That's disappointing to me. <laughs> So and that's my first challenge. Go build that 4,000 display that's shipped to the home. <laughs> Why stop there? Why not get to the top of the PQ curve and make 10,000 nits? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you got to see our Apollo display that we built, the 10,000 nit uh, quantum dot display. It, it looks spectacular. It's just whenever I showed that to people, people were like, you're crazy. This is never going to be a product. And I'm like, that's what they said about the 1,000 nits. Yeah. You know, 10,000 nits is not that unrealistic. So. But I, I, I'm, I'm making it easy, 4,000 nits. Let's just do 4,000. <laughs> you sound like the almond growers, just a can a day. That's all we ask. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, when, when you mentioned Jeff, by the way, I think you were talking about our producer here, uh, Jeff yeah, Urich, yeah. giving you the quantum dots. So, yeah, yeah, Jeff, Jeff has uh, been a... a a key person in our journey with the uh, quantum dots with me. So it's like, uh, I don't know if Jeff has ever told you the story, but uh, you know, we were literally pouring quantum dots in our lab before we met Nanosys, right? And uh, you, know, you had all sorts of like, we're not chemists and we didn't know what we were doing, but we had to show some demos, right? And, uh, <laughs> and we, were doing, we were doing just a horrible, messy job. And then I run it to Jeff and Jeff's like, yeah, we can do that. That should be pretty easy. <laughs> like, my new best friend. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, Jeff's right here, and he's, he's cracking up. Uh, hey, I've got a bonus question for you, too. That painting behind you, is that the Moulin Rouge? Uh, uh, which one, the painting? Yeah. Uh, no, it's just some random paint. <laughs> well, I recognize it. Um, all right. Well, listen, thanks so much, Ajit. Uh, I, I think it's been a great opportunity to talk to you, find out what's been going on at Dolby and where you'd like to see things going. And you've got some, uh, you've teased us with a little bit of information there. We'll 
continue to watch for developments on Dolby Vision uh, in the AR, VR area and uh, everything that your company has to offer. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today and uh, uh, we really appreciate the chance. Great talking to you, Brian. Thanks. Bye. Okay. <laughs> Bye.